You don't have to be a rocket scientist to connect the dots here and see where this is going. They are going to intrude in families. It's going to get much worse. It has already started. Unless and until people put their foot down, it's going to get really, really ugly. When you first research this issue, the only things that come up are affirm your child. This is a really significant issue that your child has now fallen into. This is evil. This is absolute evil that is coming at our kids. And if our faith community is not going to stand between that evil and our children, I don't know what hope we have. There's absolutely no way that we could have gotten from 2015 to 2018 where we had transgender everywhere, okay? It took them almost 15 years to get gay marriage. Well, it took them three to five years to get this transgender stuff. When you stand by and do nothing, then you are essentially saying, I'm okay with the human carnage and the human suffering that is coming from this transgender, gender ideological agenda. This is something that is affecting families in possibly every congregation in America. The way that the devil and his forces lose this is by speaking truth. God will not hold us guiltless for our cowardice, and that's what it is. It's cowardice in the pulpit. It's cowardice in our churches. It's cowardice from Christians in government. Do what you're doing for the generations to come. Do your job. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind-the-scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we are creating documentary films about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective and pursuing truth above all else. I'm Amber Archer, and joining me is my husband, author, director, speaker, Mark Archer. Hey, baby. (laughs) What are you doing? Unbelievable. If you find this podcast helpful, be sure to subscribe and share the show to help us reach more people. You can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. Uh, <laughs> Get out of here right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of making movies, so. Yeah, we make movies. We make movies. And, and <laughs> we finally, the day had finally come. Friday, September 29th, the premiere screening of Dysphoria. <laughs> yes. Want you recount how the evening went, babe? Well, it was fantastic and awesome. We had um, in in the audience. We had several different grassroots organizations represented. We had people from the attorney general's office represented. We had people from three other states that came. Mm-hmm. So it was a very exciting night. It was. It was a very exciting. And we would like to thank Patriot Mobile, our event sponsor. Absolutely. For sponsoring the premiere of Dysphoria. So many kind souls in the universe. <laughs> so and if you guys aren't familiar with Patriot Mobile, they are America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. And they're committed to providing um, dependable wireless service with exceptional U.S.-based support. And while that's not all that they do, mm-hmm. because while providing the great service, they relentlessly are fighting for our shared values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to support Christian conservative causes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, we should add Patriot Mobile was a supporter of ours with the mind polluters. Yeah, they held a big screening in uh, Grapevine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had... They brought in Dana Lash and yeah. Monica Klein was there. Yeah, we had no idea that it, 
it wasn't something we went looking for. Right. And they approached us and said we'd like to screen it and we said absolutely. Oh, so sure, that's cool. And and it, unfortunately it was I think the week after we had already been there. Yeah. Otherwise we would have loved to have gone. Yeah. <clears throat> but Yeah, so uh, you can get uh free activation use promo code dysphoria. You can yeah. go to patriotmobile.com forward slash dysphoria and use the, the promo code and get free activation Isn't if you want to cool? switch providers. It we, is. We have our own promo code. I know. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they have nationwide they've, coverage. They've been great to work with. We can honestly say we could not have done the premiere without them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we can honestly say this is the first um, organization that a corporate yes. sponsor that we have taken on. Uh, from the beginning of our ministry. Yeah, yeah. We talk about this all the time, how we we do not take, uh, well, we still don't take influencer money, right? Mm-hmm. So the difference is, the reason why we've uh, partnered on this with Patriot is because they didn't try to influence it. <laughs> right. They said, we're, we're behind you, we're in, how can we help? And yep. we said, hey, well, we would like to do this big premiere. It's kind of pricey to put on and you know. <laughs> so for those who weren't there we it was at life church in noblesville and we mm-hmm. brought in a cinema screen yes so it wasn't just and tell hey, them how big it was uh, it was 12 foot high 21 foot wide yeah <laughs> it almost didn't fit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the stage had to take out a bottom <laughs> bottom section yeah of we the had to actually sh- frame drop the frame on the yeah it was huge yeah and so it was um and there's pictures uh out there on Facebook. Uh, Speaking of pictures. So if you are in the listening audience and you are on Facebook, so I just put up a dysphoria uh, Facebook page and it's it's, facebook.com forward slash dysphoria documentary film. There's going to I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. But if you guys want to share your pictures, hashtag dysphoria movie. And so that we can find them and share them on the page because we're just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm excited. Yeah. So. But I did want to read a couple of the the um, social media posts that people uh, reviews from it. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Uh, so one lady said, such an amazing night. This is from Margaret. Uh, such an amazing night. Mark and Amber Archer are a literal godsend in a world so corrupted by the intentional and perverse manipulation of our precious children. Their new documentary, Dysphoria, which we had the honor of watching on its premiere night last night, is their gift to our society, and absolutely everyone needs to see it. It is simultaneously beautifully enlightening and completely terrifying. God bless them. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) Margaret. We are so glad that you were there. Yeah, that's uh, that's funny. Uh, What did she say? Simultaneously. Simultaneously beautifully enlightening and completely terrifying. (laughs) We are doomed! Run away! Run for my life! <laughs> oh, and we had a uh, another one. So I have a, a five here. Well, I can just read a few of them. Uh, the Dysphoria premiere was a huge success. Big crowd from all over the Midwest turned out to watch the world premiere of this powerful documentary on how the spirit of confusion is destroying families and children all across our nation and what we can do to stop it. Mark and Amber Archer are champions of truth. Check out dysphoriamovie.com and support this movement. Many thanks to Patriot Mobile and to Life Church for sponsoring this multi-state tour movie tour kickoff. I am dangerous. Uh-huh. So patriotmobile.com forward slash dysphoria. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about if you were in the Noblesville area or you want to check out Life Church, please do. Uh, lifechurchin.com. And uh, it's a great 
I'm telling you, we've been there and it's like family every time we go down. It's like our second home. It is. If we lived in that area, that would be our home church, I'm sure. So Mm -hmm. anyway, so yeah, my takeaway from the night, um, it was fun watching people's reactions when they came in. It was kind of a rowdy crowd. Yeah, it was I, yeah, I we say were, rowdy in a good way. We're a bunch way. of rowdies. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was a, you know, a red carpet with yeah. the big step and repeat wall and the movie lights. And um, and then when people walked into the sanctuary, they were not expecting a screen that a size. A screen that size. Yeah. I mean, it looked like an IMAX or, or uh, an IMAX yeah. screen. It was in the room. It was just enormous. Yeah. So it was fun. There's there's going to be a professional pictures to come. So when those do come, they will mm-hmm. be posted on the Facebook page. So I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. Make yeah. sure you like the Facebook page. And we got a bunch of uh, audience reactions after. Yeah. Too, so we'll have some of those for you next week. But yeah. Anyway, okay, so on. good times had by all. Thank you yes. all for coming. Um, <clears throat> I have a couple of articles here and then we have another one of our just for you cast members to yes. introduce you to mm-hmm. Curtis Hill. Um, but before that, so you remember, um, was it last year when the, um, when the tranny, (laughs) tranny went on a shooting rampage at the school in Nashville? Yes. Okay. And to this day, they have suppressed so much of the evidence because this, woman trying to be a man mm-hmm. um left this manifesto and i don't nobody's been able to see it no yet, one's they? been able to see I it i think so her medical records have all been suppressed why do you think that is well maybe because of the side effects of in massive injections of testosterone testosterone how about this article trans daycare worker Sentenced to 25 years for molesting children, blames testosterone treatment for increased sexual urges. Wow, that's pretty sick. Um, A woman receiving, this is in San Francisco. A woman receiving high doses of testosterone in a bid to switch genders, treatment that had nothing short of medically disastrous libido-boosting effects, was sentenced to 25 years imprisonment today for a catalog of child abuse conducting at the San Francisco. Uh, it's cut off. Anyway, a, a child a child care center in San Francisco. Uh, the DOJ de- detailed the abhorrent crimes of child sex abuser Jace Wong, 29, reportedly born as Robin Danielle Wong. So this is a woman trying to be a man. Mm-hmm. Who prosecutors described as, quote, a systematic predator of toddler and preschool age children, whose conduct was among the worst imaginable. It's amazing that this comes from this DOJ, mm-hmm. <clears throat> who is, which has been nothing short of a disaster. The DOJ refers to Wong as he throughout their statement and do not mention her gender transition. Um Wong pleaded guilty to the charges on April 24th. According to his plea, her, her, yeah, his, her, her plea agreement. Wong admitting, admitted that beginning March 19th, 2021, while 
She was employed at a daycare facility in San Francisco. She surreptitiously took sexually explicit photos and videos of prepubescent minors at the facility while they were going to the bathroom. Sicko. Wong acknowledged that the children were approximately four to six years old. So did 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 she get charged with child porn? I mean, I wouldn't. It wouldn't. Would it be voyeurism or um, what? Twenty five years in prison for <laughs> using using. Uh, twenty five years in prison for using access to children to produce, possess, and distribute child pornography. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Okay. So so she got in. You know, and took pictures and videos and then uploaded them. <sighs> um, prosecutors described how Wong worked at Mission Neighborhood Center's daycare in San Francisco, where she took photos and videos of children in the bathroom and shared the videos in online group chats and messages. After victimizing at least six children in total, Wong was arrested after she sent a pornography video of a girl using the bathroom at Mission Neighborhood Centers to an undercover officer in April. <clears throat> um, well, praise the Lord for good people who are still yeah. Wong used putting people is, behind bars. This is interesting. Have you ever heard of Kick? This is a messenger messenger yeah. app. Mm-hmm. Well, the KIK? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wong used the social media app Kick to join an online group called Younger Love. I say it, it was, it's mostly younger kids that mm-hmm. use that. It, it's supposed to be safe. It's marketed as safe for kids. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's being used by pedophiles. Yeah. Speaking of pedophiles. Speaking of pedophiles. So put a pin in that. <clears throat> Remember how she was. Uploading these pictures to the worldwide interwebs mm-hmm. uh, from the Gateway Pundit. FBI issues warning about newly discovered pedophilic Satanist extortion cult targeting children online. Say it ain't so. The cult uses platforms in, including Roblox. That's a that's a game, isn't it? Ro- Roblox. I see the I see the prepay cards from yeah. Roblox. I don't know what it is. I think I'm hopelessly out of touch with things here. But <laughs> Roblox, Discord, Twitch, SoundCloud, and Telegram. We use SoundCloud. Uh-huh. Uh the FBI said in their public notice that the cult uses many names, including six seven six, seven six four, CVLT, Court. Cascar with K's, all K's, Harm Nation, Leak Society, and H3, is it 311 or H3II, but continuously evolve and form subgroups under different monikers. To gain access to a majority of these groups, prospective members are required to live stream. So if you want to be part of this group, you're required to live stream or upload videos depicting their minor victims harming animals or committing self-harm, suicide, murder, or other acts of violence. The key motivators of these groups are to gain notoriety and rise in status within their groups. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I really want to join your group. I'll be a lifelong member if I live stream 
me killing myself. That makes a lot of sense. The group was discovered after police in New York arrested a 23-year-old named Angel Almeida on gun charges and began investigating his social media posts. Items found in his apartment included books pertaining to the Order of Nine Angels, no, Order of Nine Angles, and a flag bearing the insignia of an American 09A offshoot, the Temple of Blood. That's O-V. Tempel, T-E-M-P-L-O-V, Blood. Documents and sources familiar with 764 indicate the group is an offshoot of the Order of Nine Angels. Angle. Angles. (laughs) It's angles, not angels. Come on now. I'm struggling. Uh, Where's the button? I need a button. A struggle button. Um, A violent, subversive amalgam of esoteric Hitler worship, Satanism, and Wiccan tenets that American authorities recognize as a terrorist ideology and that has been connected with murders and attempted terrorist attacks in countries including the U.S., Britain, Germany, Canada, and Russia. But there's nothing to see here. Move along. It gets better. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Almeida was also in possession of an O9A. That's Order of Nine Angles. And this is this was in New York? This is in New York. <clears throat> okay. O9A Blood Covenant, which the Guardian reports featured a blood-smeared drawing of a hooded figure with glowing red eyes surrounded with sigils for four O9A deities and the caption, Vindex... Nithra, Satan, and Abatu. At the bottom of the page is an oath that says, A covenant signed in blood. May the devil walk with you always. Satane manibus, which is Latin for by Satan's hand. Similar indicia have been found in possession of O9A influenced killers in Britain and Canada. Sources with knowledge of investigations into 764 indicate the group has a network of a couple thousand participants and hundreds of highly active members who generate and disseminate the bulk of the child pornography and gore videos found in the group's channels on Telegram, Discord, and more obscure platforms like Matrix. I've never heard of Matrix. Mm -mm. According to the FBI notice, the groups target minors between the ages of 8 and 17 especially LGBTQ plus youth, racial minorities, and those who struggle with a variety of health, mental health issues such as depression and suicidal ideation. Anybody who's an easy target. Right. They're preying on. The groups use extortion and blackmail tactics such as threatening to swat or dox minor victims. All right. So swatting is where they uh, they call <laughs> the, the police. It's not the SWAT analysis, is it? No, they call the police... <laughs> From your no, they 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 spoof your phone number uh-huh. and call the police and say I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to kill everybody in this house and this to get the SWAT team to show up at your house in, in the middle of the night. Oh, great! Okay. Doxing, of course, is where they put all of your personal all information your personal online. Online, yeah. Yeah. Um, they do this to minor victims if they don't comply with the group's requests. Manipulate and extort minors into producing. CSAM video, CSAM and videos. I don't know what CSAM is. CSAM. I have no idea. And videos depicting animal cruelty and self-harm. Self-harm activities include cutting, stabbing, or fan signing. What is that? 
<clears throat> I should I should do more research before I read these, but um, <laughs> the coldest link to a high, to high profile cl- crimes, including a German teenager accused of murdering his foster family in Romania. Let's <sighs> <clears throat> move on to Curtis. I bet he's got stuff more <laughs> better stuff to talk about. Um, yeah, so we could we could go to break and come back with Curtis because. He's more interesting. I have no comment there. That's just deranged, sick, perverted mind. Yeah. So, okay, we'll go to uh, break and BRB. Okay. It's very powerful. Very powerful. And and it's well done. It uh, covers a broad range of problems that we have today in the world. I think that it's something that everybody needs to see. I was shocked by CPS being involved. And I was shocked by the secrecy, uh, uh, you know, keeping the secrets from the parents of what the, the children are being told and what they're being taught and not being made aware of it and secretly indoctrinating these kids uh, is absolutely shocking. It's absolutely horrible, and it needs to stop. I was shocked. A lot of different things are pulling together. I don't think the the expanse of how bad it is, people don't know about. All of the different elements of what's happening in the world today, somehow you pulled it to within two hours and 15 minutes. What stood out against uh, to me is um, I've, I've been watching uh, Klaus, the World uh, Economic Forum, uh, The Great Reset. I see that thing coming like crazy, but I didn't realize the association with dysphoria. And it's important to see that this thing has been in, inculcated into the school system and that it is now in place. It's not coming, it's in place. You think, oh, that can't be going on. And, and the more I watched it, I thought, this is exactly what's going on. Okay, so let's meet another Dysphoria cast member. This yes. is Curtis Hill. Mm-hmm. And, and no need to introduce him because he's going to introduce himself. That's right. So here we go with Curtis. My name is Curtis Hill. I'm the former Attorney General for the State of Indiana, the 43rd Attorney General for the State of Indiana. Prior to my role as Attorney General, I was the prosecuting attorney in Elkhart County, an elected position. I had served previously as a lawyer in the community, a part-time deputy prosecutor, then was elected prosecutor back in 2002. Served in that capacity for 14 years, uh, had a specialization in uh, homicide cases, child abuse cases, uh, major drug felonies. Um, reorganized the office into its first full-time operation. Uh, very aggressive uh, prosecutions in northern Indiana. Uh, moved on to attorney general and uh, uh, I think revitalized that office. Uh, we were engaged in many national issues in conjunction with other uh, attorneys general, some on a partisan basis, some on a bipartisan basis. Um, and uh, uh, I'm currently engaged in consulting work. I'm um, still very active in a variety of issues, uh, both inside and outside of the public domain. As a prosecutor, can you give people sort of a, a, a background and how Title IX works? Well, uh, not necessarily as a prosecutor. I think I can I can talk a little bit about what uh, what Title IX is in general. Um, uh, Title IX is designed to uh, provide protection. Uh, for women. It's a anti-discrimination uh, policy um, that uh, one example is uh, to provide uh, um, a non-discriminatory basis for women in sports, for example, uh, making sure that women have the same opportunities uh, to compete, to work, uh, to enjoy uh, the fruits of their freedom 
as men do. And the, the, the effort to include transgender into Title IX uh, creates a great deal of confusion because Title IX is designed to protect women. And we never had to define who women were before. Uh, we knew women as women. And then suddenly in the last 10, 15 years, we start this, this transition, if you will, into redefining things and this concept that a person can choose their own identity, uh, choose, their, choose their own gender, if you will. Um, that's a very new thing that wasn't around when Title IX began. So now we have this infusion of transgenderism into the protection of women, and the two do not um, comport. Um, if you have a transgender person who is uh, choosing to be a woman, um, who are we going to protect? At some point, these two uh, these two interests are going to collide. And so the danger, in my view, of the inclusion of uh, individuals who ha are choosing their own gender or choose having gender identity issues, uh, the danger is um, we end up uh, infringing on the rights of women. We end up violating Title IX by virtue of the inclusion of others. And it's all rather confusing, messy, and those who are policymakers really need to stop and think about what they're doing. Uh, in their effort to find ways to promote or protect the transgender community, uh, they're doing so at the risk of the woman community. Can we back up just a, just a smidgen? So there's, there's a whole bunch of people that are going, I don't even know what Title IX is. Title IX is part of what? In the layman's terms, explain what that what that's a part of and what that means. Well, first we should look at what Title IX is. Title IX is a part of the Civil Rights Act that is specifically designated to protect the interests of women, uh, uh, keep them from being discriminated against in employment opportunities, uh, in uh, uh, school opportunities, um, in competing in sports activities, and others. Um, so it's a very important aspect of our civil rights legislation designed specifically to uh, address the interest of women who had suffered immense discriminatory policies over the years. Um, uh, that's one of the characteristics of civil rights violations is, is you have to look at a, a history and a pattern of discrimination over time as opposed to simply wanting to uh, uh, favor uh, some particular interest group, uh, the Civil Rights Act is designed to address uh, actual uh, uh, interests that have been maligned. Uh, so we see that in the case of, of black civil rights. Uh, that goes back to the, uh, uh, the 1800s and the Reconstruction era. Um, the, the, civil rights, the original civil rights legislation was the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution, designed to protect the interests of blacks, but also included women and, and others at that point in time. The standard had been long-term discrimination and an immutable characteristic. So if you look at blacks, for example, um, a black person can't change their blackness. You walk into a room you open the door and you see someone black and you close the door and you make a judgment based on that person's race. They can't change that. Or you open a door and you see someone who was, well, it was a woman. A woman can't change that. These are immutable characteristics. So 
the, the, the problem that these two groups had was that they could go into a circumstance for employment, they could go into a circumstance for education or anything at all, and they were quickly identified as black, quickly identified as woman. And then someone would make a judgment, an irrational judgment based upon that quick determination. That's what we were trying to get away from, not to put women on a pedestal or put blacks on a pedestal, but to identify discriminatory practices that were in place and had been in place for decades and attempt to correct those practices by protecting those interests to say, you just can't walk into a room, look at somebody, see that they're black and make a determination irrationally because of that blackness. Or you can't make walk into a room, see a woman and make an irrational determination that's harmful to her based upon her being a woman. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't discriminate. In other words, choose or choose who you're going to work, uh, employ, uh, choose who you're going to play on the on the on the ball court. It means that you follow uh, uh, rules that say you don't make uh, bad decisions, irrational decisions, just because a person's black or just because a person's a woman. And that's something that's getting lost in the modern era of civil rights. Today, civil rights is. Uh, uh, it, it's sort of getting past or forgetting about the concept of, of years of harm. Uh, if you look at folks who are out there claiming their civil rights, you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, a, a, a long history of discriminatory practices that they're running from, uh, not like women, not like blacks. Um, so I think that's something that, that people have to come to grips with is, uh, are we going to maintain our standards of civil rights uh, uh, doctrine, or are we going to throw all of that out the window and come up with this new standard that simply says uh, we're out to uh, pick and choose and prefer rather than to protect those who need the protection? I should add, too, we didn't even mention that Curtis is running for governor mm -hmm. of Indiana currently. So. Yeah. And we've interviewed him on the show before I interviewed him a couple months ago, mm -hmm. I have to put a link. Yeah, to that. totally off topic. Yeah, talking about um, I specifically was asking him about the efforts of the loony left DAs to put Trump in prison. Mm -hmm. It was right after Alvin Bragg went after him with his nonsensical <clears throat> charges, but um, and the first time that we met Curtis was when we were doing Inwood Drive. He was the attorney general, and if you've seen Inwood Drive, you know who he is. He was the attorney general of the state of Indiana when all of Klopfer's babies were found. The abortionist. Yeah. Um, we were making our, our first title under Fearless Features right. and uh, interviewed the abortionist in his clinic. He died um, shortly after we had the film done the first time, and uh, they found over 2,000 fetal remains at his home in Illinois. And so Curtis is the one who had to work with his you know, counterpart in Illinois to bring the babies back to Indiana to have a proper burial. And so that put us back into production for six months. Long story, but you can go and watch Inwood Drive yeah. uh, on our website, fearlessfeatures.org, or it's also available on Salem Now and Amazon. Yeah. So it, just as an aside, that's who Curtis is. That's how we mm -hmm. have gotten to know him over the years. Yeah. And um, it's interesting, uh, you know, and I we, we made a point of, and I wanted to share this part of the interview because this part didn't make it into the film, but to explain to everyone, when you hear 
the left talking about amending the Civil Rights Act. This mm-hmm. is what they're talking about, about, about changing Title IX to include gender identity. Mm-hmm. Knowing what this is based in, Title IX of the Civil Rights Act, this was <laughs> – and now they want to take it – The Title IX specifically was, was put in place to protect the rights of women mm-hmm. – and, and now you're trying to protect mental illness. And now you're trying to protect yeah, mental mentally ill men who want to pretend mm-hmm. that they're women. Yeah. They're trying to gut Title IX of the Civil Rights Act. Mm-hmm. And so just you got to see it for what it is. That's mm-hmm. why we kept, you know, we wanted to ask him about this. Very mm-hmm. important. So, okay, next section with him, we're going to uh, talk about uh, Leah Thomas. Okay. This is good, good stuff. All right, here we go. Well, there is a there is an inevitable clash, uh, uh, not only with the current Civil Rights Act, uh, with freedom of speech, with freedom of expression, uh, but also freedom of religion. Um, and these uh, this conflict um, is is going to come because you have c- competing interests that you can't provide equal protection to. You can't you you can't satisfy the concept of protecting. Uh, gender identity and also protect the privacy interest of a woman. So we see it in the in the area of locker room issues. Um, we're supposed to provide protection to the boy who says he's identifying as a girl so that he can go into a, a women's locker room and be comfortable. But in doing so, we're disregarding the 22 biological girls who are not comfortable with a male Regardless of what his identity, uh, what his gender identity choice is, they're not comfortable themselves. So we're choosing to disregard one uh, classification of people that we're bound to protect in favor of another classification of people uh, that we're trying to protect. Um, Those conflicts have got to be resolved somehow. And currently, it's being suggested that they be uh, resolved in the interest of the the minority, the the tiny sliver of people that this impacts versus the majority of people uh, that we also owe protection to. So it's it's um, um, it's it's going to be problematic. Uh, and I and and one thing that I think is that's important. There's people who say to me, "Well, why do you care if somebody wants to wants to identify?" Uh, if a man wants to identify as a woman, wants to use pronouns, uh, wants to change his name, Curtis, why do you care? And part of the why do I care uh, got answered for us several months ago um, when we had William Thomas, who was ranked number 462 um, as a male swimmer. Now, from where I sit, 462 doesn't make you very good. That means you've got 461 that you got to get past in order to be number one. So 462, average at best. But then William Thomas chooses to become Leah Thomas, is able to then compete for the women's team in swimming, and catapults to number one. Goes from 462 as a man, but representing himself to be a woman, goes to number one. That is a perfect example of the absurdity of this process and the abuse that it has towards biological women. Uh, it's it's and and 
it's actually the type of thing that has to happen in order for people to wake up and say, this is why we care. It's not that we're trying to be mean. It's not that we're trying to be um, uh, uh, have no compassion for people who find themselves in these issues. Um, the point is, we are a nation of order. We are a world of order. Uh, we have our differences and our opinions, but we we collectively agree to provide a guide of order so that we can function in this world. And part of that is is uh, using common sense, uh, the law when we need to, and rules of behavior so that we can all coexist in this world and have a spot that lands without landing on someone else. This process of expanding Title IX to include gender identity and sexual orientation has a necessary impact of landing, particularly on women. Now, I can say landing on men and women, but particularly women will be negatively impacted as we go forward. And we have to take that into consideration because that is not what the purpose of Title IX was intended to do. It was not intended to create uh, a greater conflict. It was intended to provide protection and benefits and gain for a group that had been previously identified as being in that need. Where, so who, who makes this law and what is it that people need to be looking for making sure that these changes don't get enacted? Well, in any type of legislation, you're looking for accountability because um, uh, what happens in the, in, the, in, the, in the process of crafting legislation or, or laws is you have a group of legislators that identify that a problem exists and so they craft legislation to fix it. So some people would say, well, was this something that needed fixing? Some people might say yes. Some people might say no. The democratic process is to put that information out there, debate it, have public uh, public positions, uh, flush it all out, and then call it for a vote. Um, you may not agree with everything that your legislator uh, comes up with. That's why you hold them accountable at election time. That's why we have majorities and minorities, and that's why we have a political process. So that's how it's supposed to work. Um, that accountability standard is key. Those of us who are looking at, at how the Civil Rights Act should be uh, either kept or amended need to identify um, who are the characters that are putting these new things in place. Now, what's interesting is the, the Equality Act, or H.R. 5, uh, in federal legislation was adopted by the House of Representatives. Um, hasn't gone anywhere as of yet in the Senate because it doesn't have the votes. Um, that process, if it does go to the Senate and it does get the votes, at least that's the process that ought to be in play. Because if, if there's considerable debate and legislation is adopted and it's approved as law, that's how our process works. We may not like it, but that's how the process works. And then our responsibility is to identify who did what. And if we can find people to run for office and change that, that's where we operate. That's a fair standard. But here's what happens um, more often than not, and here's what's being attempted now through the rule change, uh, rulemaking process. The Equality Act is stalled out. It wants to add uh, sexual orientation and gender identity uh, as a part of the uh, protection for sex, uh, put it right there with sex. Well, we didn't get that, so let's go the back doorway. The back doorway is going through the rule process. Congress has provided... Um, uh, agencies, federal agencies, to craft rules. And they're typically rules in order to um, uh, affect the procedural or process 
of the agency. And what happens in, in many cases, and what's happening here, is, is it becomes a substitute for the actual act of legislating. So you're, re- you're legislating by rule versus legislating through the Congress. And so now we're, we're facing a rule change that would uh, include in the definition of sex under Title IX, uh, sexual orientation and uh, gender identity. Well, what is the effect of that? If that rule is changed, it's the same thing as the law having been passed by Congress, only Congress didn't pass the law. So nobody in Congress is actually accountable for the action. This was done by an unelected bureaucrat, bureaucratic uh, agency. Um, that's the best of both worlds for those who are pushing for this because they don't have to be accountable for the for the behavior or for the for the for the uh, voting, um, but they get what they want. They get this definition. For those of us who are opposing it, we don't have uh, much to say because we don't have elected officials that we can go to and say, "Bad on you. We're going to vote you out because you did this." And we have no way to address this with the uh, with the bureaucratic agency. Now they say, "Well, sure you do. We have a in the rulemaking process. You have a comment period, and you can." Voice your opinion. Yes, you can write it in. I always encourage people to, to write their opinions, but uh, I can tell you how quickly those can be ignored. Now, that process, this rulemaking process, um, is not new to Title IX. Uh, this is a, a, a this is what happens in Congress all the time. It's also what happens in our state legislature. Uh, uh, it happened uh, uh, when I was Attorney General. Um, there was a rule uh, that was attempting to be adopted by the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. The Bureau of Motor Vehicles decided that it was going to create a new classification of person called an X. So there's already, we already have an M for male and an F for female. So they were creating an X for transgender. And that was going to be on the driver's license. Now, this was proposed as a rule change. As Attorney General, I did not have the authority to stop the rule change from a substantive standpoint, but I could put the brakes on a rule change based on a procedural uh, question. And we did put the brakes on it. The procedural issue that I uh, uh, identified was that changing or uh, adopting a, an X um, as a new classification of person was a substantive change, not a procedural one. And as a, substan- uh, as a change of substance required a law. So we rejected that rule and directed them that they would have to take the matter up with the General Assembly. Now, if the General Assembly wanted to vote and choose to add the X on the driver's license, that was their prerogative to do so. So it wasn't a matter of us doing it because we were against it. We were doing we were against it because procedurally it took a substantive issue out of the hands of the General Assembly and put it in the hands of a, of a bureaucracy. Now, you would think, well, with those dirty rascals, why were they doing that on their own? I actually notified a higher-up member of the General Assembly what was going on, uh, letting them know that this bureaucracy was taking this action. And I found out that many of them already knew and were okay with the process because it was a way for this to happen, and they could keep their hands clean. And so someone would say, well, how did we get a new classification of, of person on our uh, driver's license? That wasn't me. That was the that was the BMV, and they did that through the rule process. That was out of my hands. 
That kind of crap goes on all the time. And it's necessary for people to understand that that goes on so that we can shed some light to the situation. There is a reason that we want to have rules or, or rulemaking authority from the state agencies. We don't want to bog down the General Assembly or bog down Congress with rules, rule, rule. It was intended to allow for a smooth uh, process. Legislation gets passed. We don't have to get bogged down with the details. Let the agency sort through the details. But when it turns into uh, we're going to use the agency to slide through unpopular uh, actions or, or actions that we don't want to be accountable for, then we have to stop and take notice. Fascinating. The, the rulemaking process, this is this is in the headlines all the time, especially if you follow, if you're a Second Amendment guy. Right? <laughs> which you are. Which I am. I'm a Second Amendment girl. Then you know of what I No X is here. <laughs> There's only an M and an F here. We don't have any X. The ATF is, this is all Notorious. they do. This is all they do. And mm-hmm. the ATF is a, is a wholly unconstitutional agency to begin with. But they are constantly abusing the rulemaking process to basically write legislation. Right? The, we went through this whole thing with the pistol brace Rule, And if you're not familiar, I won't go into too much detail, but the ATF, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, uh, they they use this rulemaking process to try to outlaw all kinds of things. And it always goes to court and generally gets slapped back at them Mm -hmm. by the court many more times than not. It goes all the way to the Supreme Court and they get slapped back down to you know no you're not allowed to do that this is uh, because you do not have the authority as an agency to write a rule and have it enforced as law Mm -hmm. interestingly and when curtis was telling this story one of the other things that that i remember about curtis that i loved about him still love about him he's the man for the job Curtis stood up to our rhino governor Holcomb during the fake pandemic and Holcomb, you remember he issued his statewide mask mandate Mm -hmm. and then he proceeded to say, and if you don't wear a mask, then it's going to be a class B misdemeanor. Right. And who stood up to him? It was Curtis. Curtis stood up to him and he, he pointed out, um, you don't have that authority. Mm-hmm. You are not a legislator. You're the executive branch. The executive branch does not have the authority to in, to enforce, you know, to to write legislation. That's basically mm-hmm. what he was doing. And uh, and Holcomb back off, backed off. He had to because <laughs> Curtis called him out. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> okay. Last section here with uh, Curtis, he's going to talk about uh, legislative tricks. Okay. Talking more about those those dirty rascals. I, I always love listening to the uh, inside scoop of what happens at our state house. Yes, I love it and I hate it yeah. at the same time because, <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's right, it does go on all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Anyway, okay, one more section here with Curtis. Where is it? I mean, how do you even know when these things come out? I think is what a lot of people are going to ask how, you know, it's like we're having to constantly police every area of 
the authorities who are supposed to be in a, you know, they're in the authority position. So where are people, even something like the BMV, like how do you even, who, who's making those decisions? It's virtually impossible for the average person to keep up. And part of the system is designed to do that. Um, there, are, there are lots of people who are engaged as watchdogs, various organizations in their particular areas um, that do their level best to stay on top and, and work that, that system and, and identify concerns, get those concerns out to the people that they serve. Um, but a lot of this stuff is done behind the scenes, uh, after hours. Uh, you know, we, we're supposed to have these open door uh, policies, but there's there's a million one ways to get past all that. Um, it becomes very difficult. Uh, people engaging voter guides. Voter guides are wonderful for how a person votes, um, but how does a voter guide catch what's going on in the BMV when they want to create an X? How does a voter guide handle what's going on with the uh, with the Title IX when we adopt a change by rule? Um, then we have people who run for office and they say, well, we're going to cut out the bureaucracy. But what happens? Every four years, the bureaucracy grows and grows and grows because people don't have the courage to do what they need to do to slice through the bureaucracy. Do we need the assistant undersecretary for the oversecretary of the, I mean, all of these layers and layers and layers of people. And it's uh, the, what happens at the state level and the federal level is the bureaucracy exists and they just sort of watch the elected officials come by and they say, well, we're the ones running the show. Uh, they're just here temporarily. And the elected officials let that happen. So it's, uh, it's quite a mess. Um, um, it's, it's imperative that people organize, pay attention, um, that they put, uh, they put real, uh, real eyes and ears on the people who represent them to understand what they, what they do. Um, and um, it's imperative that new people who get involved in the political structure uh, don't get backbenched like what happens. A new person runs for legislation, uh, legislature. They're very idealistic. We're going to change this. We're going to change that. You know what happens? The first thing that happens when they get there is they're told uh, this is how it works. And they're put in the back seat. Uh, they're not going to get any cushy uh, committee assignments until they learn the ropes, learn the process. And they're at the mercy of the leadership. Uh, the reality is, whether you're in Congress or whether you're in the State House, uh, the reality is there's a handful of people who pull the strings. And the rest of the folks are just kind of waiting for the crumbs. And unless you're, uh, unless you're very special, you have to play that game in order to make your rise. Um, they control the fundraising. They control the access. They control the committee structure. Um, and uh, it's very disheartening. And if somebody wants to be a maverick and buck that system, they better be damn strong in order to do it because they're going to be they're going to find themselves without a whole lot of allies. For the average day, for the everyday American, then what is the best use of our time in watching the system? Or you know, what's what's the best use for everybody who goes to work? nine to five, trying to raise their families. We can't always be watching what the government is doing or those in leadership in our communities. What is the, how, what's the best use of our time? The best use of a time of the average citizen is to find a group that they are allied with and share that responsibility. Um, there are various 
uh, grassroots organizations that do that, um, but identify what your top issues are, identify the people who have the time to get more deeply involved and report back, the people who can't be as deeply involved because they have children or other activities, give everyone an assigned role. But it, the, the job is so immense that it requires uh, a lot of engagement and a lot of people connected to that process. Then when you have that organization, um, as an organization, you should connect up with sister organizations so that you can broaden your perspective and broaden your horizon. Um, the more you're able to do that, the more clout you give yourselves, the more that you won't be ignored or turned away when you have a concern. If uh, John Q. Citizen walks up to a state senator or walks up to a U.S. congressman and has an issue, uh, it's very easy to slough that off. Well, that's just one of my 700,000 constituents, so it, it, I don't need to worry about that. But if a ABC group for United XYZ comes up, um, and that's a group that has uh, 10,000 members, and they're very well organized, and they can cause a lot of ruckus, well, that's somebody that somebody's going to pay attention to. So getting engaged with the right organizations, with the right people, having the right mindset to gather information and use that information collectively is the best route to go. Which is exactly what the opposition does so well. And they do it much better. That's The, the, the reason that they do things so much better is that they have, um, rightfully or wrongfully, they put away their own individual interests and 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 go for the collective. Um, and so they come out as a cohesive group, even if they have people that are extreme, um, and, and they do a very good job of that. We, on the other hand, um, have a tendency to be so fixated on our spot issue that, that we're clinging to the, to the hill on, uh, on an issue over here when the battle's over there. And we need to understand that we need to collectively gather our forces and center on the, the, the great battle. And we may not agree on everything, but what do we agree on? We agree on limited government. We agree that the government uh, doesn't get to make all the decisions, that people, reasonable people, make those decisions. And so many of the issues that we, are, that we kind of freak out over uh, and we want to have a law on this and a law on that, those are issues that we should be able to reasonably work through without regard to government interest. So we should... Uh, kind of back off on some of those demands and make sure that we focus on the central core of what we're about, which is securing our individual freedom. Mm -hmm. yeah. And especially children and their rights, you know, protecting children from a lot of these harmful uh, ideologies. I mean, well, it, uh, you know, it's it, what's going on with children and parents is, is, is incredible. And uh, this is where fortunately, um, our opponents go too far. And we need that from time to time because they seem to be reasonable. They, they, they seem to be, oh, caring and compassionate. But there's nothing compassionate about taking a child who is not old enough to really understand the nature of sexuality and recommending or suggesting or implementing some type of a permanent uh, surgical procedure. Um, and in some cases, uh, counseling or encouraging or implementing that without parental consent. Um, before you get into the, the issues of whether it's right for the child, you have to get into the issues of how dare anyone in government substitute themselves for the interest of a parent? Um, how dare they? It's, it's absolutely insane. But we see it happening all the time. We, we, we see this 
this interest of not just indoctrinating children with uh, materials and, and, and indoctrinating their educational pursuits and thoughts and, and, and objectives, but now we're getting into the very nature of who they are and suggesting that, that those feelings that they're feeling means this, and this is what we do about it. Kids have weird feelings. I mean, that happens. It happens to everybody. And now we're acting as though we can, we can suggest that a child uh, sometimes less than 10 years of age has a feeling that we can act upon. Um, that's, it, it should be criminal. It absolutely should be criminal. Uh, it certainly is uh, deplorable. Uh, it's disgusting. It's any, it's any kind of negative adjective you can come up with. Um, and we need to stand up against that. And um, the, the continued pattern of, of pushing and pushing and pushing, um, it, it ends up being a political process. I mean, what, what, what's done is if we can, what the other side is, is looking at doing is if we can get these kids at an early age uh, philosophically with us, then we win. And the question that you have to ask is win what? And what's left when we destroy humanity? And that's exactly what's happening here when we're taking, when, when we can't even define men and women, when we can't uh, preserve and protect the interest of children, um, when, when we have lost our sense of objective truth, what's happened to our humanity at that point? And I think that that's why we're in a, a tremendous battle now. That's, that's, I mean, this is humanity at stake. Um, when you start saying that there's no difference between men and women, and we need men and women to, to uh, further uh, our creation, I mean, we have to produce more people in order to survive as a species. Uh, so the end result of this effort is the loss of humanity. That's not an extreme position. That is the reality of what's going on and what we're facing today. You know, it's interesting listening to him. I remember when we were doing this interview— and he started talking about, you know, uh, aligning yourself with watchdog group, watchdog groups, mm -hmm. and it's just it's just a good reminder because it's true. What he says is true. It's virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. We say it all the time, and I know people who are listening understand. It feels like you're trying to sip from a fire hydrant mm -hmm. every day. It's impossible. It is impossible to keep up with everything that's going on. So to find those watchdog organizations like your right to life group, for example, that's going to keep an eye on that subject area. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then in our state, we've got Rhonda Miller with purple for parents of Indiana as an example, they're watching everything involving education and parental rights and things like that. And and, and you're seeing more and more of these groups yes. pop up. And um, unfortunately, <laughs> what, what we do see with a lot of the groups that are popping up now is there's always this, this tug of uh, direction and leadership mm -hmm. and they kind of, they fizzle right away. Yeah, it it's... It's kind of the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Yeah. And so, uh, and it can be discouraging when you see groups like that, that seem to be doing good things and then they kind of fizzle, yeah. fall apart. And mm -hmm. we've, we've seen it happen, but don't let it discourage you into giving up. Um, 
But he's you know, he makes such a good point when he's talking about how people on the right, we tend to get so fixated on individual subjects mm-hmm. of things. And I think about our dealings with – we have had groups that – listen, when you're making films like we make – you can please some of the people some of the time and all the people none of the time. Right? And so <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter what you do. Somebody's got an opinion mm-hmm. about how you should have done it, how, what you should have put in the film. Uh-huh. People that have had no, nothing, <laughs> no contact with you whatsoever. Until and they it's watch done. The, until it's done. Then they watch the film. I can't believe you didn't talk about this. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I and and he also made such a good point of really identifying your top issues. Mm-hmm. What what is the one, so to speak? What hill are you willing to die on? Right. What are you willing? And and honestly, and that really takes. I will never forget sitting in church on a Sunday morning and listening to a sermon and a, a pastor saying that. What is the Lord asking you to get involved in? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's different for all of us. Why? Because we're one body, many parts, and we right. should all be doing something, you know, to forward the kingdom ultimately. Yeah. Because all these issues are hard issues across and, the board. And as believers, we should we should be able to unite on on most of the central issues. Life, mm-hmm. liberty, protecting children's innocence, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. The other things like taxes and Okay, we can argue about stuff like that, but but the central issues, we should at least be able to unite in principle. And and you know what's really interesting, having listened to this again, is we not <clears throat> we no longer have. Um, oh, I shouldn't say we no longer have. There are actually parents out there today mm-hmm. who believe. That they should take their children in yeah. and get these awful surgeries done yeah. and inject them. So there is a real, a real battle happening. And everybody's saying, well, who's right? Well, and add to that, it's not just the parents, but there's there are these teachers and people in government Listen, In this, these this, agencies. These are the allies, remember? They, yeah. The propaganda has, has been well established yeah. to get allies to support this movement. And it was interesting because I had just checked out and I was doing a little more research on this. There's a book, uh, 1989. It, it's called um, After the Ball. And it's, and it's After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. Hmm. Well, everything in there is... A battle plan of and getting allies and getting people on board. Look at look at our medical system yeah. and, you know, the education system uh, everywhere. Be an ally for the LGBTQ. Be an ally. Be an ally. Right. And, they, they, and they've done it very incrementally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminds me of, you know, when when we got Inwood Drive done and the criticisms started to come from, listen, and what we have said from the start, we are all abolitionists. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the end, we all believe that it should be absolutely not just illegal, but it should be unthinkable mm-hmm. to abort a child. So we have the same end goal in mind, I think. 
we differ on our approach. Mm-hmm. And we made Inwood Drive to highlight the approach of a pro-life organization, grassroots organization that worked on this successfully, for, successfully got ordinances passed for years, decades yeah. really. And the criticisms of course came from the the I guess the more extreme groups, abolitionist groups, mm-hmm. who would would say, well, all they want, you know, is to make it safe and rare and well, you know, the and and they're the ones that stand on the sidewalks with the gory pictures and okay. And I look at them and I say, but what have you gotten done versus what they've gotten? Mm-hmm. And I'm, what I see is these guys that you're throwing rocks at, they've managed to get something done. You may not agree with everything, every tactic they've taken. We're but, not all always going to agree on everything. But in the end, they're the ones that got this done and yeah. you're still standing there screaming at everybody. So, uh, you know, it's... It, it's the results speak for themselves mm-hmm. anyway. So that's Curtis Hill. I really appreciate him. He is running for governor. I think he is the man for the job. We've gotten to know him through the years and mm-hmm. he's, he's the real deal. So yeah. do you have anything else? No. Have? Okay. That is all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening through to the end and be sure to click that subscribe button. So you never miss an episode and share this with your friends and family. Until next time, march on, saints, and be filled with the Spirit. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth!